You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Osteoporosis, major health concern for women, but what about men? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Murray Favis, professor of medicine and director of the Bone Program at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. And we are discussing osteoporosis in men, and we are going to focus on hypogonadal men. Dr. Favis, how often is hypogonadism associated with bone loss? Well, the uh, hypogonadism has a high rate of causing bone loss, but among men who are discovered to have osteoporosis, hypogonadism may be found in uh, probably less than half of the men. So for many men, uh, there are other diagnoses, other disease processes that are causing uh, the low bone mass. And in terms of osteoporosis in men, if if we have someone who has some osteopenia, should we automatically check a testosterone level and vice versa? If if we're treating someone with testosterone, should we be getting a DEXA scan? Uh, Yes, I think uh, a testosterone level in uh, in a man with low bone mass is absolutely a, a requirement because finding a low testosterone level now gives you a therapeutic opportunity here. Now, some men with low bone mass and hypogonadism may require more than just uh, testosterone replacement to uh, correct their bone mass. But nevertheless, testosterone replacement can be uh, very effective, and it can also be used along with other therapies such as bisphosphonates. Interesting. And if we start someone on testosterone, uh, what is the time frame with which we should evaluate their bones? The bone turnover markers, uh, if they were elevated pre-treatment, will begin to come down in three or four months, and by six months, the turnover markers uh, should be close to uh, you know, a, a favorable range. In about 12 months, the bone density uh, will uh, show some increase in bone mass at the spine, perhaps at the hip as well, again, after about 12 months of therapy. So one year, the DEXA scan, and, and then as uh, early as three to six months, the markers of bone turnover. And those are the, the serum markers? Uh, in our bone program, we tend to use the serum markers now. One can use the urine NTX. If you get comfortable with that measurement, uh, you should continue to use it. But there are improved markers coming out and becoming available now and uh, that have uh, more precision, more reproducibility. And I think you you might find those to be uh, even more helpful. And I imagine men who have this issue often will present with uh, other uh, symptoms of hypogonadism, uh, more sexual issues and infertility versus fractures? Uh, Yes. Loss of libido, uh, loss of body hair, irritability, uh, depression, muscle weakness, easy fatigue. There's a whole range of signs of low testosterone. The cardiologist may discover it in looking at the lipid profiles, which are finding um, uh, changes there that uh, may suggest uh, with hypercholesterolemia may be due to uh, low testosterone. So uh, there are a number of ways that it may become discovered. Of course, if you find somebody with hypogonadism, uh, the other part of the story is, uh, as you suggest, to uh, get a DEXA scan and find out the impact on their bone mass. 
And in terms of checking that testosterone level, morning blood test, are there other things that are important in getting an accurate testosterone level? One can get a random uh, testosterone, uh, with the, uh, but you have to remember that it goes through oscillations. So you may be sampling either at the peak or the trough, somewhere in between. If your value is in the middle of the normal range or in the higher portion of the normal range, then repeated sampling will probably give you reasonably normal levels. But if your first sample of testosterone uh, in your patient is more towards the lower range or, frankly, low, uh, then it might be worth repeating it uh, once or twice to document and fully uh, demonstrate that, uh, indeed, the, the levels are low. And is anyone doing pooled samples because of that pulsatile secretion? Uh, that's certainly been uh, discussed, and uh, sometimes uh, people do that, although we don't uh, do it routinely. But one could sample at 30-minute intervals or 60-minute intervals two or three times and pool the, the serum for analysis. And is it important to do total, free, bioavailable, or a combination? Of course, the more information you have, the more likely you're going to be... Uh, correct with the diagnosis. If there's reasons to, uh, to think there might be changes in the binding uh, proteins, it's, it's well to measure those as, as part of the androgen battery. We usually start with a total androgen, a total testosterone, and then look at a free testosterone as well. For men who are in a situation where they become hypogonadal due to treatment, are there any guidelines there in terms of looking at their bones and treating their bones? Yes. Well, there, there have actually been studies of men with prostate cancer who have been treated either with a, a surgically ablative therapy or with LHRH agonist to shut off pituitary hormone uh, stimulation of the testosterone production so that they uh, become quite hypogonadal. And for those men, there can be a rather substantial loss of bone in the 12 months following the loss of testosterone. Now, there have been trials with intravenous bisphosphonate therapy, men with prostate cancer, when they become hypogonadal to prevent the bone loss, and that's been effective. There also uh, is more information about the effect of uh, testosterone replacement therapy in men who are rendered hypogonadal. What is the impact on potential development of uh, prostate cancer in them? And it, it turns out that replacement of Testosterone in hypogonadal men does not increase their risk for prostate cancer. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Murray Favis, Director of the Bone Program and Professor of Medicine at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. And we are discussing the approach to osteoporosis and osteopenia in hypogonadal men. Dr. Favis, then, would you recommend in our male patients who may be contemplating treatment for prostate cancer that would involve androgen depletion or deprivation that they get a baseline DEXA? Uh, yes. From what I've seen and what's in the literature, I think that's a prudent thing to do uh, is to get a baseline DEXA before the testosterone levels are lowered by whatever mechanism and then to arrange for follow-up DEXA measurements perhaps at 12 months from the time of the uh, institution of therapy and be prepared to treat the men with an oral or uh, intravenous uh, bisphosphonate 
if there's significant uh, decline in bone mass during those 12 months of follow-up. And is prophylactic therapy, I, I thought you mentioned there was a study with intravenous uh, bisphosphonate given prophylactically to prevent. Uh, yes. I don't know that that has uh, become practice, but uh, no one would be criticized for doing that uh, at all. And uh, I think the question is whether we have a sufficient follow-up to the population to uh, be certain that we are preventing loss. There's good evidence that the intravenous bisphosphonates uh, can prevent loss. And I think if we uh, select the people, uh, the men carefully, we can prevent the losses up front. And that would fit with, I believe you said that the majority of the loss tends to occur in those first 12 months when the testosterone levels drop. Yes, but untreated, the, the bone loss may continue well after that first year. And so uh, even if we miss it that first year for whatever reason, uh, we should continue to monitor and be prepared to treat uh, any time along the way. Very good. So in hypogonadal men, assessing the bones and treating the bones is important, independent of whether that comes up due to sexual dysfunction or uh, an unusual lipid profile or uh, treatment for uh, prostate cancer. Yes. And in the more general population, are there guidelines that you follow in terms of when you initiate treatment? Is it by T-score or by fracture in the past? Give us some guidelines in that regard. Well, uh, certainly if a man has had a low trauma fracture, then he should be treated irrespective of what the T-score is. That our clinical information that there has been a significant fracture should override the bone density readings. So that's the same in men as in women? That yes. Once you have a fracture, your risk goes up very much for another fracture. Yes. The refracture rates, uh, say following a vertebral fracture, uh, it's about 20% recurrence in the first 12 months after a vertebral fracture. And of course, in hip fractures, the prevention of hip fractures is very important. Uh, men have an even higher mortality rate following a hip fracture than women do. So definitely treat if there is evidence of an osteoporotic-related fracture. Yes. In absence of that, do you look mostly at the T-scores? Uh, yes, I look for uh, risk factors and the bone density, the T-score that, that uh, the bone density gives us as a guide, but only a guide. Uh, certainly when T-scores are minus 2.0 or below, uh, most everyone would treat that person. I think the big question is if you find more mild or moderate reduction, say between T-scores of minus 1.5 and minus 2.0. And I think like women, if men do not have any risk factors, then uh, we may well decide to follow them. If uh, there is a decline in bone mass during the follow-up, then we will know to uh, begin treatment. If they remain stable at some mild level of uh, fracture risk, then we can continue to watch them. You certainly want to treat the bones, not the T-score. That's right. Will some of the newer technologies that may give us some information about bone quality and bone strength impact the decision-making? I think there's a great deal of room to improve our uh, assessment of bone strength, and I think we're going to see some novel ways of assessing uh, in the uh, coming years perhaps from the data that come out of the DEXA scans, perhaps new instrumentation. But I, I do think that we will have more information. Right now, our best clinical tools are the DEXA scan and the bone turnover markers. And in closing, any 
parting advice or things you would like the doctors across the country who are uh, the primary care physicians treating these uh, patients to know about osteoporosis in men? Well, I think we have to have a level of suspicion because it remains an asymptomatic, quiet process in men just as it does in women. And I think our knowledge of our patients and our suspicion about osteoporosis should prompt us to uh, evaluate and be prepared to treat. I want to thank Dr. Murray Favis, who has been our guest as we've been discussing osteoporosis in men, uh, particularly focusing initially on hypogonadism and then ending with some more general guidelines. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.